in uh, obedience to his word. As we go to the word of the Lord today, Genesis, the fourth chapter, Genesis 4, it's not a, uh, a father, uh, a message just directed towards the fathers or men, uh, but it's directed towards everybody. Um, so, uh, Genesis 4 and 1, and Adam knew his wife, she conceived and bare Cain, said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. She again bare his brother Abel, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. The process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel, to his offering, and unto Cain, to his offering, he had not respect. Cain was very wroth, his countenance fell. The Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thou countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted, and if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. Unto thee shall his desire be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? I want to preach to you today from this title, The Keeper. The Keeper. Turn to a few people, greet them, shake their hands, welcome them. Amen. As you are prepared to be seated. Amen. The, the keeper. What, what does it mean to be a keeper? Well, it means to keep. Simple enough, right? Moving on. <laughs> but uh, the word keep uh, means uh, to keep, to guard, to observe, or to give heed. Uh, generally, it means to protect, to attend to, to watch over, not just to keep something and have it, but you're, it implies something deeper than just possessing something, but that you are protecting it, you are attending to it, you are watching over it to, to be a watchman of, uh, of that thing, and properly, it means to hedge about, to build a hedge around this thing. And precisely as it is uh, defined in the Hebrew dictionary, to hedge about as with thorns. So not just to, to build something around it to protect it, but uh, you, you put thorns up against uh, around the thing. Why? Because you want to keep people out of it. 
You want to keep people away from that. As a keeper of something, you are building a hedge of protection around it and not just any type of hedge or any type of wall, but you're building something that has thorns uh, to, to really protect this thing from somebody else coming in and taking it from you. So to be a keeper means you are really watching over that item, that thing, with all of your might, with all of your strength, and you are not just keeping it on the shelf somewhere, but again, it implies you are building a hedge of thorns around it because this thing is very, very precious to you, and you are going to guard it and protect it and to observe it uh, at all costs because it is th that valuable to you. And, and so people place value on all kinds of sort of things. Uh, we all value different things, but uh, they're, they're different in many aspects. But there are things in each and every one of our lives that we value. It doesn't have to have an intrinsic value. It doesn't have to be a priceless gold piece of gold or jewelry or uh, a precious diamond or gem. Or that, that doesn't have to be it. But we have, there are things, there, uh, there are uh, ceremonial value. They, 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 they mean something to you and they are priceless to you. While somebody else may look at that and say, That's, what, what is that? That doesn't look like of uh, anything value to me, but to you, it's worth building a hedge of thorns around. They can take your card, they can take your couch, but this thing, whatever it is, or I'm sure we have more than one thing, but these items uh, are, are so precious to me that I don't want them to be taken. And it may be so that you go out and you purchase a safe. That you guard it and you put it inside. That's a, a modern day hedge of thorns would, I guess, be a safe. Uh, that you, you hide it under lock and key and you put those things in there protected. Not just from uh, theft or burglary, but even protected uh, against fire. Uh, you know, uh, disasters that uh, they are safe inside of this and they are being uh, kept safe. And uh, the issue with... With us and our things is sometimes some people are a little bit more bent maybe towards this direction than others. But uh, the, the collection and being a keeper of things it, it can, can get a little bit out of hand. How many know people that maybe just keep a little bit too much than they should? There's a name out there, a hoarder. A hoarder is like the, the professional keeper, Right? That's what they do for a living, man. They, they keep stuff, keep everything, receipts and, and whatever, gum wrapper, who knows, whatever they keep. But they keep. They're a keeper. They take this, this definition uh, uh, to the T. Uh, they build a hedge around their things. And, and who knows, maybe they know exactly everything they have, and I'm sure maybe they know where everything is. But to the average person, there's, it's just a disaster, it's a mess. You can't find anything, and people 
seen uh, a, a, a news story or documentary about somebody who was a hoarder, and they just got, yeah, they build tunnels. I mean, there's tunnels in their house and all kinds of stuff, and who knows what else is in They have extra stuff because, uh, you know, I'm sure animals find that place of place of warmth, uh, and so their collection grows automatically, and they literally have more things than they realize in there, uh, and so just uh, just uh, this past Friday, there's a story uh, up in St. Petersburg about uh, such a man who uh, it was described is described as a hoarder, and it turns out that he, he was uh, in jail for a few years or a few months, whatever, for uh, some other issue, but his neighbors took advantage of the situation because he was a hoarder. And, you know, most people probably don't want to be around a hoarder, but uh, they knew he was a hoarder. And I guess he had, uh, you know, it's one thing to, to have a house or a little apartment or whatever and be a hoarder. That's one thing. Uh, but imagine if you give a hoarder a nice empty piece of land. I mean, that's, that's a dream. There's no limits on that, right? As f- far as you want, as high as you want. I mean, you're, you're confined by the walls, the, the typical walls of an apartment or a house. But, man, you give me a, a piece of land. And this is what this man up in St. Petersburg, uh, he, he was a hoarder and he had some land. So while he was, being, he was incarcerated, uh, his neighbors got together and says, uh, we need to clean up the neighborhood, i.e., we need to clean up his yard. Just cleaning up his yard to clean up the whole neighborhood. That's how, that's how bad it can be. And so while he was in jail, uh, they got together and they helped clean up the neighborhood. And it so happens that they hauled off over 20 tons of stuff. 20 tons of stuff. And so he finally gets out and he comes back home. And you can imagine, comes back home to his treasure, his treasure acre or whatever, his Disney World, and realize everything is gone. Now you can imagine his reaction. I mean, you're, everything to a person, everything to a keeper is precious. And you took 20 tons of my precious stuff. You took, you took. You took my lottery away, right? Uh, and so, uh, as you can imagine, things probably didn't settle well with him. Uh, and so they, 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 they told in the story that uh, he, he went back to work collecting things. And so they found him. He just started digging through their trash cans. I mean, he's... He's a hoarder, right? I mean, he, maybe he's looking for his stuff or what, but whether or not, he's looking for something valuable. And so he's starting to build up his little pile again by digging through their trash cans uh, and, and, and starting uh, to accumulate uh, all those things. And so uh, the truth of the matter is, while some may be uh, worse than others, we are all keepers of something. We're all hoarders of something, whether maybe just a few items or maybe a a lot more than you should have. 
but we are all keepers of something. And if we're really honest with ourselves and we're honest with each other, uh, you may admit that maybe you do have a little hedge of thorns around these things. Uh, and so um, I have a, a drawer that uh, I, I keep, that is my keeper that I keep things in. Uh, I don't really know what's all in it, but I just know that's my drawer. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and my wife doesn't like that drawer. I got I got a few drawers, and so every now <laughs> every now and then she's like, "How about we just take some time and let's just clean out the drawers?" And I'm thinking, "Why? There's no reason for that. The drawers are closed. It's not like they bother anybody, right?" And so uh, you know, I'm not sure what all is in there, but they're all it's all valuable things, right? At least to me. Uh, and so, uh, you know, when she says, you know, how about you clean out your drawers? And it's like, eh, you know, I raise up my hedge of thorns. There's no need for that. It's my stuff, right? Uh, but the good thing about that is, uh, you know, whenever the girls get uh, new, new toys or new stuffies or whatever, or it's their birthday and half the church gets them all kinds of stuff, uh, we go home, we thank you for that, but uh, we go home and what Taylor has, has instilled in, in our children that they don't know, that maybe other kids don't know, I don't know, but whenever we get some, they get new things, they got to go and say, okay, go and pick out something you're getting rid of. <laughs> so that's a, it's always a net gain, right? We're always, we're always at zero. You know, you have five stuffies and you get two new ones. Well, you're going to get rid of two old ones. Poor kids, you know. But I guess where uh, she's training them not to be like their dad and be a hoarder. So I guess that's good, right? So uh, being a keeper of things, we're all keepers of something and we guard it and we protect those things if we are honest with ourselves. But... Uh, Aren't you thankful that the Lord is also a keeper? Aren't you thankful that he is a he's a watch he watches over us? He guards us, he keeps an eye upon us and he he puts up a hedge of protection around you and me that when the enemy comes uh, there's a hedge over us that he can't get to because the Lord he's also a keeper of his things, of his children, of the people that are close to him and near and dear to his heart and I'm thankful that he is a watcher over us. And that he is also a keeper of his word. Not just over you and me, but a keeper of his word. That when uh, the Bible says in Isaiah, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. He's going to watch over his word that it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whether to I sent it. That means God keeps an eye upon his word. Everything that goes forth, God doesn't just say things and forget about them. No, the promises of God that go forth, they are yea and amen, and they're going to come to pass. Why? Because he is a keeper. He's watching over his word, and his word shall not return unto him void. Verse 12, it says, For ye shall go out with joy. 
and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree. And instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. I'm thankful that he is a keeper of his word. That he knows when it goes forth. If God has spoken something to you and it hasn't come to pass, I'm here to tell you today, it's going to happen. Why? Because God is a keeper of his word. He's watching over it. If he's told you your children are coming back to the church, it's going to happen. Why? Because he is a keeper of his word. If your family is lost and he's told you they're going to be saved, I'm here to tell you it's going to happen. Why? Because his word goes forth and it does not come back void. It accomplishes. It prospers. It's going to see something happen in your life because God is a keeper of his word, and I'm thankful that he watches over every single thing that he says and does. And he puts a hedge over it. It doesn't matter how big the enemy gets. The word of God is going forth and it's going to accomplish it. It's going to do the job that it is sent to do. It doesn't matter what the doctor's report says. I have a greater report that says by his stripes we are healed. That there is a healing virtue that can flow right out from heaven. That can answer and heal and, and deliver people from any situation. And the, the doctors can't do anything about that. Sometimes we may, we may get sickness and, and experience disease. And, and as much as we claim and we pray for a healing, many times it does not come. Uh, and, and we don't understand why, but we know that God is still a healer. Even if he doesn't heal me, he may heal somebody else. That doesn't change who he is. But, and that should not change my, my faith and my praise and my worship. I'm still going to praise him no matter what my situation is. Because God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he's a healer yesterday, he's a healer today. If he's a deliverer yesterday, he's a deliverer today. And if you need something in your life, the answer is here today. Jesus is your answer because we have a testimony from everyone here. We could spend the rest of the service and the rest of the day people talking about what God has done for them. And if God did it for me, he can do it for you. If God healed that person, he can heal you. If God delivered somebody from addiction and drugs, he can deliver you or your children from that same snare because our God is able and he is a keeper of his word. Man, in the Bible there are, there are two bodies of water that are next to each other. And they share some of the same water. But one is full of life. And the other, there is no life. And you say, well, how can that be if they share some of the same water? How can one have life and one not? 
I'll tell you what the names of the bodies of water. The, 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 the water that has life is called the Sea of Galilee. And the water, the body of water that has no life is the Dead Sea. Water from the Sea of Galilee flows through the Jordan River and enters into the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is one that continues to, to give and, and let go and, and release things while it gets water uh, from other sources and the rains and the, and, the, and the mountains. As that water flows into the Sea of Galilee, it, it, it releases water and, and gives it off and uh, get, passes it on to somebody else. But when it comes down to the sea, the Dead Sea, it also receives this water uh, of life, water that uh, there is thriving and, and, and things are alive in it. But once it enters into the Dead Sea, it becomes toxic and changes and death takes over. Why? Because the Dead Sea is a keeper of what it receives and it doesn't release anything. It can be like a hoarder who just keeps on receiving things but never lets anything go. Keeps guarding it with a hedge of thorns that, that it keeps people out. You're not coming in to get any of my stuff. And I'm holding, all of this is precious to me. But the, the issue that we see here is that it doesn't matter how, 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 how wonderful and full of life the things that you receive, the water that you receive, the only way that you can stay healthy and stay alive is if you've got to pass that on to somebody else. That you don't become a, a dead sea, but you become a sea that's flowing. And uh, what comes in, something else has to go out so that we don't become a, a hoarder and a keeper of the things that are poured into our life. As we talked about last week, how how we in the New Testament believers, as Jesus describes the flowing of his spirit as out of our bellies shall flow rivers of living water. And who are we to be a keeper of what God pours into our life? Who are we to say, I'm just holding on to everything that God has given me? Yeah, we need to guard it and watch over it. But also there are times when we just got to release things and, and, and pour out and be a blessing unto somebody else. I'm not coming to church for everything for me, but God. Who can I pour out into today? Who can I lay hands on today and pray for a blessing in our life or pray for a healing? Yeah, God, I need a healing to flow into me, but hey, who am I to say I'm not going to go pray for somebody else's healing? And who knows? Maybe the healing that you're wanting flows through you into that person you're praying for and you both get healed. But if we're thinking, if we're of a keeper mindset, uh, I'm trying to keep everything for myself first, a uh, keeper of self, uh, it all can get locked up inside and, and begin to turn and spoil as the Dead Sea. And so uh, I guess uh, uh, props go to my wife for keeping us uh, the Sea of Galilee and not the Dead Sea because things that come in, she says, we got to get rid of things. Otherwise, we get, our house may get filled up, and I'd have more than a few drawers. And I'm thankful for that because you get, you know, you get new things. Like when we got married, uh, uh, apparently I had a dead sea of, uh, uh, a dead sea was in my closet, and so all of that had to go. 
But I got some new fresh life, right? Amen. I was a keeper of all my stuff, a keeper of my clothes. And uh, unbeknownst to me, they were not good clothes. <laughs> she, put, she put up with me until we got married to man. <laughs> all those outfits, they're going. But we see in our text the beginning of humanity. We see Adam and Eve uh, gave birth to a son. Uh, they named him Cain as, as Eve said, I have received the man from the Lord. And as Adam and Eve are the, the parents, the mother and father of humanity, the first humans that were ever made and placed on this earth. They are the beginning of life as we know it. But if you really look about it, maybe think about it, I guess an argument can be made that we are more like Cain and Abel than we are Adam and Eve. Because Cain and Abel, they were born in this world, and Adam and Eve were made by the hand of God. So the first ancestry that we can probably most likely identify with in, in everything is Cain, because he was the first one born of a woman on this world as we all were. And that may be disturbing to many of us, all of us, that we probably most likely identify with Cain than, than Adam. And obviously, again, Adam is our father of, of all of this, but Adam may not have had a belly button. And there's a deep theological discussion, I guess, on that, right? But we know Cain did. Uh, so we, are, we identify more with Cain and Abel because they were, uh, they were born in this world uh, before, after the fall, and they were born in uh, a world that is plagued with sin and, and corruption. And uh, we can uh, look to them, and we know the stories of the, the, the story of Cain and Abel. And I know as, as we read the story, we, we say, man, what a, what a sorry guy Cain was. And Nobody wants to be like Cain. We're all, if we're all uh, are open and we are all honest today, we'd all probably say, well, yeah, I'm like Abel. But the truth is, is that inside each of us, there is a Cain and there is an Abel. We're like them both. Although we don't want to admit uh, our likeness to Cain, we would rather choose Abel, but uh, we are like them both. And uh, the thing about Cain is uh, Cain was a keeper of self. Adam knew his wife, Genesis 4.1, and she conceived, bare Cain, and said, I have begotten a man of this, uh, from the Lord, and she bears brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of, the, of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of ground. And, uh, you know, it, it says that Abel was a keeper it doesn't say uh, Cain was a keeper, but he still was a keeper. He was the keeper of the garden, uh, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep. And so two different, um, two different 
jobs that they had. One was uh, a shepherd, and obviously one was a gardener. And they both, you needed both of those to survive. It's not like you can say, we're all going to be shepherds. Well, what, you know, what, what are we going to eat? Unless it's going to be a carnivore diet, you're just eating meat your whole life. Uh, you need vegetables, so you need to be a tiller of the ground also. And so uh, even though there it distinguishes the differences between Cain and Abel, that, that, does, that is not really important. That doesn't really matter in the, in the limelight. And so it says, In the process of time that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Now, we have to understand and we know that Cain obviously is the oldest, the firstborn. Um, and, and so Cain knew... The traditions, the family traditions, he knew the habits, the customs. This is how we do things as a family here. Uh, He was taught by uh, Adam and Eve. Um, Obviously, it's not like one day Adam just woke up and says, oh, I need to bring an offering to the Lord. He was taught in his Sunday school about offering. uh, The Lord is asking and requires an offering and a sacrifice. Uh, And so he knew all this. And it's not like... Uh, we see here that uh, unto Cain, to his offering, God had not respect. And so uh, don't tell me that uh, Adam and Eve did not raise Cain right, that they did not tell him what to offer God and what not to offer God, that he just kind of uh, did things on his own. And, and how was it that uh, Abel knew uh, what to give God and God had respect unto Abel's offering but did not respect Cain. Cain was the firstborn. He knew everything. He knew what God liked. He knew what kind of sacrifice he should give. Uh, if Abel knew, then Cain knew. But so we see here one day that Cain brings an offering to the Lord and the Lord rejects it. So what happened? Did his parents not teach him right? He knew what he should bring, and most likely this was not his first sacrifice. I mean, he, he's, uh, you know, we don't know how old he is, but he's a young man, early, ma- or early adult. I mean, uh, he knew what he was doing. He was old enough to kill somebody, so he's old enough to do the time, right? Uh, so uh, he, he knew all this. And most likely, in early in his life, he was offering the right sacrifices. I mean, uh, it's not just, like I said, just one day he just wakes up and says, oh, I need to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. This was part, this is the way they, they, they did things. Uh, and so it doesn't say Adam and Eve really offered sacrifices, but I believe that they did. Otherwise, why would their sons, how did they learn to do these things if their parents did not do them and teach them? How this is son? This is how you build an altar, and this is the kind of sacrifice you give to the Lord, and and all these things. And so they're old enough to do things on their own. And uh, all of a sudden, one day, the offering that that Cain is offering up is rejected by God. What God did not change, He did not release a new revision of the of the laws and say, "Well, now today I'm changing things up, and now uh, you've been doing things the old way, and I'm rejecting your sacrifice." But somehow Abel figured out what the new law is. No, that's not what happened. Uh, God doesn't change; He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so uh, the sacrifices uh, that God required before Cain was born are the same type of sacrifices, same procedures as Cain was here this day. 
But something changed, and it was not God. So the change must have been in Cain. Abel did not change his ways. God did not change his ways. And the, the rejection comes because the change happened in Cain. Something happened in Cain. And so what, what, what type of change happened? Well, uh, obviously, if Cain knew what kind of offering to bring the Lord and he chose not to bring it, then something got a little cold in his heart. Maybe he got a little bit too complacent when things are uh, in life and says, well, this is good enough. That's, that's what complacency means. This is good enough. This will do. We know. We know it's not our best. We know we can do better, but we just say, yeah, this is good enough. Because we don't want to admit that there's a change in us. That something happened, that we became a little bit lazy, and we became a little bit complacent, and we became a little bit lukewarm. Instead of, instead of uh, acknowledging those changes in our life, we just say, ah, this should be good enough. We just toss it out and say, here you go, Lord, this, this should be good enough. And so the Lord rejected Cain's offering and we see in verse 5, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. Now, think about this with me. Cain just got very wroth. That means, that means furious. That means a, a rage, a burning with anger and, and frustration, a, uh, wrath is bad enough, but very wrath. He, 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 the fire inside of him rose up and consumed him, and, and he, he became very wrath. Who, what, who was he mad? What was his anger directed to? Was, it, was he mad at himself? Was he mad at the sacrifice, or was he very wrath at God? And who, the, the nerve for a, a, a mere mortal human being to get mad at God you see that's what complacency does it may not seem like it at first and lukewarmness may not seem it's going to seem comfortable at first but what we see the progression over time is eventually if you're saying oh that's good enough that's good enough that'll do that'll do what happens is you're 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 building a, a, a desensitizing yourself against what God asks and his laws and his commandments and his word and we just say oh that'll do that'll do that'll do and what happens is when God confronts you about it and we get mad at God. As if God is violating one of my laws. Cain got mad at God. Why, do, why don't you respect my offering? You see the, the, the arrogance and the pride that, that, and the ego that rises up when, when you become complacent because you're so satisfied. You've built a, you've built a hedge of thorns around your idea and your little, your, your, your little dream or your little habit or your little thing. And, and we, we treasure that. And, and, and we may not be in, being complacent. We may not realize that. But just the act of being complacent and lukewarm is, is uh, we're becoming so comfortable. And we like our surroundings and like everything the way it is. And when 
something comes in to, to, to speak against that or, 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 mix, or, or mix it up, we rise up and the, the, the anger rises up inside of us and we can get very wrath because somebody's coming in to mess up our world. The world that we're building, we don't want somebody else telling us that's not what you should be doing. And so uh, we don't get mad at ourselves because that we're the ones that change. We're the ones that altered away from, from the word of God and, and begin to build in our minds our, our own things that we think is good enough. And so what happens is uh, the fire rose up inside of Cain and he became very wroth at God. There was more of a, 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 of a, a fireous rage in Cain. There was more fire in him than there was on his altar. And that's what happens when you don't keep the fire burning on the altar is that this uh, strange fire begins to burn up inside of you and you become, to, you become, to, uh, become uh, angry or jealous or envious at, at somebody else. And what happens is uh, Abel is the one who's doing everything right. Abel's living right and trying to do his best. But the person who's not living right and being complacent, he gets mad at the one who's doing right because God is blessing him and not blessing me. And so what happens is people that are complacent, they'll get a, bad, a bitter spirit against somebody that God is blessing. And it, the truth is, is we're the ones that have changed. And we don't want to admit that we have changed and we have messed up, so what do we do? We, we, we tear down the one that God is blessing. When they're doing what is right and what they should be doing, uh, the same thing, we should be experiencing the blessings of God too. And we have that choice to do that. Uh, but it's up to you and I. Are we going to follow the word of God? Or are we going to start building our own thing? And so we see this happening that the truth is that there is a Cain and there's an Abel inside every single one of us. Cain is a keeper of self. And Abel is a keeper of the sacrifice. Just like the Bible says, describes it another way, how uh, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. That there's a, there's a war, that war is inside of us, a, a, the carnal and, and, and the spiritual. And, and the carnal is of the cane where the, the, the carnal doesn't want to change. The carnal, our carnality does not want to repent. Our, our carnality does not want to die and become a sacrifice. But the spirit inside of us says, no, I want to be a keeper of the sacrifice. I got I to gotta become selfless. I got to let things go. I, I got to let them pass through through me and put them on the altar because I don't want to become the, I don't want to let Cain grow inside of me and this envious rage rise up because I become jealous or envious of God blessing somebody else. Because you know and I know that we want God to bless us. But how unfair is it that if we're not living right and somebody else is living right and God's blessing them how is it, what, what kind of nerve do we have to get mad at them? 
We may, not cut, we may not kill them like Cain did, but we'll kill them with words, or we'll kill them with a bad look, or we'll kill them behind their back and gossip about them. That's the Cain spirit rising up. There's a more fire inside of you than there's fire on your altar, and you need to switch that around. You need to start building up that altar and become a keeper of the sacrifice than try to become a keeper of yourself and all of our own things uh, because we know how it turns out if, if we become I'm a keeper of self rather than keeper of sacrifice. More fire in Cain than there was on his altar. And that's how you know things are out of, out of whack. And it takes, it takes true repentance to come to that realization because that's a big fire to put out. People would rather burn with envy than repent. People would rather burn with our envious rage and rather than say, I'm sorry, or I messed up, or forgive me. Uh, that, that, that bitter spirit just begins to grow and grow inside of them, and, and pretty soon it, they get to the point, obviously uh, it got to the point where Cain was out in the field with his brother and he slew him. And think about it. If, if, if Cain was very wroth with God, if he got fiery rage against God, who is a man that's going to stand in front of him? If you'll, if you'll talk like that to God, you, didn't care, you don't care about any man or woman. If you'll, if, you'll, if you'll do that to God, you'll do worse to a man or a woman uh, because you can't really do that anything to God, but you can kill somebody in the field as Cain did. And so God helped, and this all started... Because God, because Cain just became complacent. Over time, and it came to pass uh, in, in the fullness of time, and uh, it just slowly builds. And you just begin to think, oh, this is, this is okay, this will do, this will do. And, uh, and pretty soon, you find yourself raging against God and then killing your fellow brothers and sisters because we refuse to change. We refuse to admit that maybe we've acted wrong. Complacency uh, uh, is something that zaps our energy, dulls our attitudes, and causes a drain on our brain. The first symptom is satisfaction with things as they are. It's good enough. It's not broke. Don't fix it. Even though it's not running as best as it could, it's, it's doing good. It's doing all right. The second is a rejection of things as they might be. So uh, good enough becomes today's watchword and tomorrow's standard. If it's good enough today, it'll get by tomorrow, and it'll get by the next day. Therefore, that just... What, what, what urgency do we have inside of us to do, to, to do better? If we just already just made, oh, it's good enough. We don't have to do anything extra. Uh, and so complacency makes people fear the unknown, mistrust uh, what is untried and untrue, and uh, we don't want really new things in our life because we're comfortable the way things are. And like water, complacent people follow the easiest course, downhill. Downhill is the easiest course. That's another thing you got to admit, too. Complacency 
you're just not going to stay level. You're not going to stay flat. That's not how things work in the world in this life. Things just don't stay flatline all thing. Either it's going up or it's going down. And if we don't have the, the desire or the effort to go up, there's only one other direction we're going, and that's downhill. Uh, and so when we become placent and, and, do, and don't do what we know we should be doing, we're going downhill. There may not be a, a raging fire inside of us, but we're headed in that direction. We're headed to that field where Cain slew his brother. So we'll get jealous or envious or angry with those who are doing right because we know that there's a blessing for us and we haven't received it. That's simply our own, our own fault if we don't adhere to the word of God. And so uh, we can find ourselves out in the field doing things, saying things that we normally wouldn't do. It's because uh, a fire inside of us is burning Instead of, be, instead of burning on the sacrifice. Genesis 4, 7, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And so uh, the connection is, the downhill connection is, complacency will ultimately lead you to sin's door. Will bring sin to your door. Not because... Not because you're, you're climbing the mountain of God and all of a sudden there's a trap door up there where sin is hiding out. No, it's because whether you realize it or not, you're in a downward hill slope and pretty soon you come knocking on hell's door uh, because uh, complacency, we don't want to anything to change. And so sin lieth at the door of Cain. Well, how did, how did you get there, Cain? You're the firstborn. You're the... You're older than Abel. You've been making sacrifices longer than Abel has because you've, you've been around longer. You know what to do is right. And what happened, Cain? Cain changed and decided, I'm going to be a keeper of self rather than a keeper of the sacrifice. So sin lieth at the door. That, that word lieth there means to crouch as if an animal on all four legs has crouched ready to jump in, and, and who do we know is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Uh, the devil himself is out there crouching around, and if, and if we are uh, uh, keeping things inside, if we're not uh, le letting them go, we're becoming a keeper of self, guess what? We're getting closer and closer uh, to that contact with sin at the door, and it's lying there crouching, ready to, to pounce on us, uh, to take us, to take us out of what God is trying to do for us. But no matter how far we get from God, there's always a way back to the kingdom of God, and as always through repentance. God is going to forgive us if we confess with our mouth and, and confess our sins that Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive us. I'm thankful that there's always a way back. I'm thankful that grace makes a way back no matter how far we may stray, how off course we may get. There's always a way that we can get back to God and that is releasing, let go in of ourselves and saying, beginning to build an altar and say, I want to be a keeper. Of the sacrifice. Cain knew what to do, but he was just a keeper of self. And we each have a Cain. Genesis 4 and 17. Cain knew his wife. 
she conceived and bare Enoch and builded a city in the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. Enoch means uh, dedicated and to train up. And so after uh, he kills his brother, that rage, that fiery rage he had against God, he took it out on his brother and committed the sin and uh, we see that God expels him from his presence. God, Cain says, this, my punishment is more than I can bear. Well, Cain, you should have known, man. You're the firstborn. You, you, you know what is right and what is wrong. And uh, you decided to be a keeper of self right, rather than a keeper of the sacrifice. And so Cain is now uh, banished from the presence of God, and God says, I'll put a mark on you that anybody could kill you. Their, their punishment is seven times greater. Uh, and so he goes out and he builds a city, which means he dedicates this place to my son, and I'm going to train him up in the way that I know how to live. And we don't really see any repentance take place between the time Cain was uh, uh, rejected, his offering was rejected and banished from God's presence until he's, uh, he conceived, marries and conceives and he builds a son, uh, has a son and builds a city. There's, there's, no, there's, there's no indication of repentance there. And so what does that mean? That Cain has not changed. That Cain is still a keeper of self. It's still about his way. He doesn't care about the sacrifice. He doesn't care what it costs. He's doing things his own way, and he, and he builds Enoch and, and dedicates this and trains this city up. He builds a, his own kingdom. He, he built up his own world after his likeness. And we know what direction that is. That direction is headed down. And so what do we see here? We see uh, his descendants, Genesis 4, 23, and Lamech, who is his grandson, said unto his wives, Adah and Zilhah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. Murder and death is still around. And it's in the city that Cain built. No repentance took place. And so the keeper of self is passed on and taught to the next generation. And then the next generation. And his grandson kills a man. And he says, if verse 24, If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech shall, uh, truly Lamech seventy. And sevenfold. And, and so how is it now all of a sudden this uh, Lamech, his grandson, rises up and says, If Cain is uh, revenged, uh, avenged sevenfold, I will, be, I will avenge seventy and sevenfold, seventy-seven times. If, if you kill me, I'll wipe out your whole family. That's what the keeper of self says. Because it's all about me and my stuff. And how is it that Lamech, God pronounced this judgment on Cain seven times. But all of a sudden Lamech thinks he's somebody and says, well, if God does it seven times, 
I'll do it ten times that. Who, who is man that, to say, I'll, I'll, I'll do God and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do it 70 times seven. Uh, uh, I'll tell you who does that, a, a keeper of self. Begins to rise up and, and, and puff themselves up. And, and you can see this, this connection with, with, with Satan as he rose up above the throne of God. And he says, I shall be like the Most High. That's a keeper of self who thinks that they, they become, can, can become a God themselves or, or greater than God. And what happens when you've reached that level is you have no problem killing somebody else. You have no problem tearing somebody else down with words or looks or an attitude or, or, or gossip. You have no problem doing that. A keeper of self is all about keeping themselves looking good and will tear down everybody else if, if, if they make them look bad. And so Cain's grandson says, I'll kill your whole family. And then Lamech's son, so Cain's great-grandson, we see Genesis 4.22. And Zillah, Zillah, she also bare Tubal-Cain. Tubal-Cain, which probably means troublemaker Cain. Name you after our grandpa, Cain, Trouble-Cain. What happened what did he do? He became an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. You know what that means? He made weapons. Because a keeper of self has to build that hedge of thorns, and they'll defend that at all costs. And so Cain, who killed his brother with a rock, his great-grandson says, we need to make weapons so we can kill people if they come against us. Meanwhile, this is one path that is taken in history. But on the other side, we see the, uh, not the keepers of self, but we see the keepers of sacrifice. The same, the same time uh, uh, Seth is born, and Seth has children as well, uh, but why isn't that we don't read about uh, Seth's lineage and says, I have killed a man. Or uh, let's go out and make weapons of war. We don't read that about this side, but we do read that about the keepers of self side. And so you can see the, the downward progression of things when you, when you choose to be a keeper of self rather than a keeper of sacrifices is because what we do today, our kids are going to take it to the next level, either side. Either they'll be more selfish than you are or they'll give better sacrifices than you are. And we're the ones who pass that on to the next generation. Are we going to be a keeper of self and, 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 and guard everything and, and become evil and wicked and kill people with words and actions and looks? Or are we going to be a keeper of sacrifice? Say, no, son, no, daughter. This is how you build a sacrifice. This is what pleases the Lord. This is, you want to see the fire fall upon the sacrifice. You got to teach them how to be a giver, how to be a vessel that God can use 
person and not to be a hoarder and a keeper of the things that God pours. But no, we're going to go pray for somebody else. We're going we're gonna to be a blessing to somebody else. Why? Because we don't want to be a keeper of self. We want to be the keeper of the sacrifice. Musicians, if you would come, it always it touches, touches my heart every night when we, we do our devotions with the girls and we, we ask them who we're going to pray for and we got our, our, our prayer cards and uh, they, they call out your names. I'm telling you, they call out your names. This is who I got. And they all, we, we tell them anybody, they ask, is there anybody else? And, you know, we, we're, we're aware of any other needs, people that are in the hospital and, and things like that. And uh, they, they, they pray for them. They pray, pray for Sister Kelly. They've been pray, they prayed for Brother Fry. If, you, if you're in the hospital or something's going on in your life, obviously we don't, you know, ex- give out all kinds of details, but they know to pray for you. And we will, they'll, they'll uh, the next night we say, who are we praying for tonight? And they, 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 they recall the names, the people in the hospital or, or that are hurting. Uh, we're trying to teach them how to be a keeper of sacrifice rather than let's just pray for my needs. And it's all about me, and uh, we don't want to be a keeper of self. No, it's about somebody else, about being a blessing and, and pouring out and let God flow through us, and, and out of our bellies shall flow rivers of living water. And so uh, we want to be a keeper, but we want to be a keeper of the sacrifice and not of ourselves. Because the keeper of sacrifices, you don't have to worry about accidentally killing a man. You don't have to worry about building up your weapon arsenal in case people come to get what you have. You don't have to worry about that because we're constantly giving things to the Lord and, and constantly offering up sacrifices and, and God's going to bless and God's going to open doors and, and God's going to do great things in life. If you're a keeper of the sacrifice, you'll see God bless you in this lifetime more than you can ever imagine rather than trying to hoard everything and saying, God, I'm going to protect all that I have. And what you end up with is you end up with really nothing in the end. But being a keeper of the sacrifice opens the doors and windows of heaven for God to begin keep on pouring out. If my people are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and keep my, uh, keep my word and, and turn their, from their sins. Then I will hear from heaven and I will, I will heal their land and I will, I will pour out, open up the windows of heaven. You see, that only happens to somebody who's building up a sacrifice, uh, an altar, and God is a keeper of his word. And so he's going to do that if we turn to him and, and give our hearts to him. God can do something great in our life, but he can't do it. He can't work in somebody who's a keeper of self. If you want to get the Holy Ghost and the blessings of God, you can't be a keeper of self. You can't hold it all in. It's got to be a, it's got to be a, a you got to release it. You got to open yourself up and say, God, I want to be a sacrifice. Huh? I'm going to let go of everything that I have so that uh, you can flow through me. Your spirit can come into me and flow uh, through me and give me a new things and a, a new life and a new heart and a new mind and a, a new anointing. All of these things come uh, not to those who are a keeper of self, but those who are a keeper of the sacrifice. We stand with me today. In Genesis chapter 15, we see a man by the name of Abraham 
who did not come from the lineage of the keepers of self. Abraham, the father of faith, came from the, those who were keepers of the sacrifice. Genesis 15 and 9, And God said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against the other, but the birds he divided and not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Why? He was guarding the sacrifice. He was a keeper of the sacrifice. I'm not going to let anything take my, my praise. I'm not going to take anything to rob me of my faith or, or my walk with God or, or my sacrifice. Yeah, you're going to have to fight against things, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are a spiritual battle. And, you know, uh, we, may, we do warfare, but it's in the spirit because the fowls of the air are going to try to come in and take your sacrifice. And if you're not watching your sacrifice... If you're focusing on yourself, things will come in and steal the things away. The parable that Jesus talks about, the word going forth, being scattered, the four types of soil. One of them, it says, the, the birds of the air, the fowls come in and take the seed. Because they're not being a keeper. They're not building a hedge around that sacrifice. And we, we see time after time, there's countless stories uh, throughout the Bible where we can call upon them, call out their names and how well, they made mistakes along the way, but when they finally realized, I got to stop being a keeper of self and I got to learn to be a keeper of the sacrifice. And when that begins to happen, we see God begin to change their life and their, everything turns around and, and God begins to bless them and pour things out of their life. A, a man by the name of Obed-Edom. Nobody else. Nobody else wanted the Ark of the Covenant. Nobody else wanted that. Can you imagine? In Jerusalem, the city of God, here's the, here comes the Ark, and nobody wanted to take it home. But Obed-Edom says, I'll take it. I'll watch over that. I'll be a keeper of the sacrifice. And, and what, what did the Bible tell us? The house of Obed-Edom was blessed beyond measure. The blessing of God actually got David's attention. Say, man, just his house is blessed. Why is that? Why? Because he's a keeper of the sacrifice. Let me tell you today that if you will pledge with your life to say, I'm going to keep the sacrifice. I'm going to keep things open between me and God. I'm not going to allow these things to get inside and hold on to the bitterness and all. I got to let all these things go. God will bless you like you've never seen before. And God will bless the church because why? We've learned to be a keeper of the sacrifice. Does anybody want to be a keeper of the sacrifice? You got to be willing to come and say, I'm laying myself down. Will you come? Will you come and lay yourself down and say, cast your cares upon him? I don't want to hold on to these things. If you need the Holy Ghost, you need to come down here and let everything go. Say, God, I release, I give you all of me. I give you everything of me. Will you come? Come, let's come and worship the Lord. Let the fire fall upon your sacrifice today. And that we will go home today being a keeper of the sacrifice. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you. Oh, God, we need you to work in us. But, God, I need to let go. Forgive me, Jesus. 
anything I'm holding on to, unforgiveness or bitterness or jealousy. Come on. Will you come? Let God use you. Pour into somebody here today. Pray for them and believe that God's going to do something. If you need something, you can come and get it. But also, God can use you and pray for somebody. Lay your hand upon them and believe for that healing, for that deliverance. Come on, God's going to do something here. We got to let it go. I don't want to hold on to it anymore, Lord. I surrender. Come on. Let's let the fire fall today. Fall on our sacrifice. Come on, altar workers. You know how to pray for somebody. Come on, step out in faith and believe God can use you. Hallelujah. Let the river flow out of us.